If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Um, excited to uh, continue our series, uh, Light in the Darkness. Grab this real quick. We've been... Uh, our series, Light in the Darkness, is, is following, and we've been going through the book of John. If you've never studied the book of John, I highly recommend uh, that going into this new year uh, to dive in with us through John, to, to be ready, reading and following along. It's just a phenomenal uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you've never read it, John is, is, is hit on a, a wonderful theme throughout the book of John, which is light in the darkness, how Jesus brings light into our world. Uh, but, but the author also has many other themes, and one of his main themes is who do you say Jesus is? If you actually read, even here in chapter 1 that we've been going through, multiple times it says uh, someone is testifying who Jesus is, or... Um, or they're, they're exclaiming or sharing who he is. Uh, but when you go from here on out through the rest of the book of John, as people interact with, with Jesus or talking about Jesus, it always brings to a, to a head. And every person in, in this entire book, it brings to who do you say Jesus is? Or they, they share the responses, is he just a man? Is he a healer? Is he a prophet? Is he the son of God? Is he the Messiah? Is he your savior? And I'm just excited to go through this. So we're going to be starting in John uh, chapter 1, verse 35. And, and if, if you haven't been able to follow with us, but before we've been talking about how John has been testifying who Jesus is. And we're, this is John the Baptist. And we're going to be hitting in 35 where he's now with his disciples. So this is John uh, chapter 1, verse 35. He says, Then the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Why, why is he not saying the Lion of God or, or some powerful creature? He says the Lamb of God. You see, John the Baptist is actually reaching all the way back to an exodus where there was the first Passover. Where there needs to be... Uh, an atonement for sin. There needs to be a sacrifice. And actually, in Passover, on the last, um, the last one that they actually, uh, God's commands told them they had to take a blameless lamb. They had to take a, a, a lamb without defect that that's going to bring it into their house for a week and to care for it, to be part of it. But then at the end of the week, they sacrifice it and eat it. And you see, when they sacrifice it, they put the blood on their doorpost because when God came by, that that blood, that blameless, uh, the, the, the lamb without defect was, was able to, when he was by it, it actually paid for the cost of sins. That, did, that when the, the spirit came by, it didn't take their firstborn son. And so God in delivering them was already teaching them that there needs to be, through redemption, atonement of our sins, that there needs to be a price. And maybe some of you, whether going to, to other churches or joining us, that sometimes we sing about the blood of Christ or we talk about the lamb. We sing songs about the blood of the lamb. And it's because Jesus is that 
perfect sacrifice for us. He is the Lamb of God, that He actually came to save us, that when He died, that His blood paid for all of our sins. We don't need to sacrifice anything else because He is the one without sin. Actually, it says that the wages of sin is death. If anyone did not deserve to die, it would be Jesus. But Jesus came for you and me, and he died. His blood paid for our sins so we can be free of sin. So when he exclaims, here is the Lamb of God, he is exclaiming, here's our Savior. So when he says this, the two disciples, verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, when Jesus ever, whenever you read in Scripture and Jesus speaks, there's two things you can always gather from it. One is we learn our hearts. That we learn when Jesus speaks, it's to find out where our hearts are and to line up with God. And two, we also learn God's heart, where he is. And so when Jesus says, what do you want, um, uh, they begin and say, they said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So when Jesus says, what do you want? He's getting to the heart of the issue. We might just think of that as a normal thing. Someone's following you and going, hey, can I help you? What do you want? But Jesus, when he asks them, what do you want? They say, rabbi. They're already giving him authority. Rabbi means teacher. But you need to understand, rabbis uh, in that culture had high esteem. That, that, that they were teachers of the law, that they were uh, educated men, that back then not many people could read. And so a rabbi was, was set in high esteem, being, being kind of like the, the men of wisdom as they go by. But the other thing that's kind of unique about back then in their culture is that if a rabbi ever went up to a young man or boy and they found him very intelligent or could remember things. Because you got to remember, back then, not everyone could read. And one way that they would continue to teach Scripture or teach the laws is you had to say it verbatim. You had to say it word by word. They would tell that young man, follow me. Come, follow me. And what that, that meant for that young man is that if they followed him, they would become his disciple. They, could, they didn't have to do the, the trade. Maybe it was manual labor. Maybe it was fishing or craftsmanship. could have been anything. But it could have been a family business. But if a, a rabbi came to it, it was a high privilege for someone if they said, come, follow me. And then they could be disciple with them, go with them, learn from them, and they would become rabbis. So you need to understand that when they say rabbi to Jesus... They are already giving him high authority, and they're saying teacher. And did you catch what the second thing they said? It sounds very simple. It says, they say, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? But this reveals their heart. You see, they ask him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Because they want to be where Jesus is. Jesus, where, where are you going? Where are you staying? We want to be a part of what you're doing. If you're the Lamb of God, if you are our Messiah, I want to be where you're at and what you're doing. And so here, Jesus says what rabbis ask to be a disciple. He says, come, he said, and you will see. 
So Jesus, not just hearing their heart, they're giving him, they're saying, Rabbi, and also say they want to be where you're at. He says, come, which is also saying, come or follow me. And he says, and you will see that he right then is taking them on as disciples. And he says, come and you will see what I'm doing, where I'm going. So, so right there, it says, so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So excited for what God is doing with them. They, he wants to share this with his brother who is Simon or we know as Peter. And it says, Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. But he says, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. You see, Peter came because he also wanted to follow Christ. And just as we're going into a new year, new, new life, the same thing. When he came before Jesus, Jesus saw him and where he's at. And God, Jesus saw the potential. And Jesus said, it's not just that you're known as Andrew, um, known as uh, Simon. He says, but you now, I'm going to give you a new name. As, new, as you come into this new commitment to follow me, he says, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means Peter or rock. Jesus knew he could see in Peter what he was going to stand for as, as the church begins. He was going to be a rock and a foundation for his ministry. And so Jesus already saw this into him and all just changed his name. So do you understand when we meet, John said in, in, in a sermon a couple months ago that Whenever Jesus comes into a situation that is, it, it radically changes. And here already, Simon is getting his, his name changed, that his life is going to change. And it's, it's amazing how God already is working with these disciples, but radically changes them and changes his name to Cephas Peter, which also means rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding um, Philip and he said to him, follow me. So again, he said, come early to the other disciples. And now he's saying the same thing as a rabbi would say to someone. He looked at Philip and he said, follow me. And Philip did. And so here, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found um, the, uh, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the, the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel uh, says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Can anything come from there? Some of you uh, were given uh, golf balls as you guys came in. Um, some of you... Um, might know me well enough that I love playing sports. Absolutely love playing sports. Uh, but, but one that I would say that is not my strong suit, that I, I, I play it rarely, that I don't practice it, is golf. And, and golf to me is, is like when I go skiing. I don't go, I, it's so, I don't go often. I've probably only skied three times in my entire life, but I go in such a, a dramatic amount of time that when I go, it's almost like I have to relearn how I have to ski. So the same thing with golf. I feel like the first couple holes is me just like 
just getting my swing back. Like I have to learn how to hold the club again um, that usually the first couple holes are very rough for me. Well, in South Carolina, I served as, as a youth pastor uh, in Manny, South Carolina. Uh, and uh, one of the elders in our church invited me to play golf. And, and I told him, I, I don't have any clubs. I haven't played in a long time. And he says, don't worry about it, I'll, I'll bring everything. And so of course I accepted and, and went to go play golf with him. And, and again, uh, the first couple holes were pretty rough for me. But, but after probably hole three or four, I finally had my confidence in my swing. I started to do pretty well. Uh, but as we got to the 11th or 12th hole down there, um, there's actually a rather large pond uh, on that 11th or 12th hole. And I just remember how narrow it was uh, down the side. So you had, either have to hit it perfectly straight or you have to hit it over the pond. And again, uh, I'm not as confident in my, my swing. So I actually aimed even more left that I said, even if it goes in the rough, I don't want to lose this man. It's nice for him to let me use his clubs, but I don't want to lose his golf ball. You know, I, I just, I feel like if it goes in that pond, I'm not getting it back. So I uh, remember just aiming a lot more left and was planning on hitting the in the rough. And um, I remember I went down for the swing and have you ever done something that the moment you did it, it's wrong. Like it's not going the way that you want to, or maybe you said something, you say something, the minute you say it, you're like, I shouldn't have said that. Like you ever been in that spot? Well, I tell you this, right when I hit it, I sliced it. And that's a golf term that, that, that goes immediately hard right. Like it, it goes like a strong right curve. I sliced it and went right into the middle of that pond. I just remember like gritting my teeth, like, like I just realized like, oh no, I'll, I'll never get that ball. I'm gonna have to apologize. Um, and so as I'm about to turn, and I just remember just, man, going, man, I, I, I hate that I just did that. And I was turning to him, but him and I both notice we see this, this streak of black. And then all of a sudden a splash in the pond and something is swimming in the pond and goes under the water. And then it emerges out of the water, this black lab, and comes running right up to me and drops the golf ball right in front of me. It was. It, this dog is amazing. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. Me and him are looking at each other and smiling and looking at this dog. He, he's never seen this dog. Of course, he's probably never hit it in the pond. But I, seeing this dog, like, he was my redeemer right there. He's, this, this dog I mean, it was amazing, and he was just happy, all this kind of stuff, wagging his tail. And then the minute I pick up the ball, his ears perked up. And I could tell right away, he wants me to hit it in the pond again. So... I'll be honest, the rest of our golf experience was having fun with this dog, hitting it constantly in the pond, and this dog was retrieving our balls. But it's funny that sometimes the minute we say something or do something, it doesn't come out the way we want it. But can you understand Nathaniel here? He says, he goes, what good comes out of Nazareth? And his response, Philip said, come and see. He, he could see that that Philip is serious, come and see. But he says, what good comes out of Nazareth? Nazareth was 55 miles north of Jerusalem. And can I tell you, they thought of that place in low esteem. Kind of like when I first moved here, it's like kind of like saying like, what good comes out of Walker County? Okay, it's like, what good could come out of that? And I look at, I look at this passage, and when he says, what good can come out of Nazareth? Uh, what good come, could come out of Nazareth? We think like that. 
how can any good come out of this situation? Or the, I just remember that ball being in that lake, and I'm like, there's no way. But what if I told you there is light in the darkness, that there's some amazing dog out there that can find your golf ball in the lake? There's light in the darkness that, can I tell you that the Church of the Nazarene, when it was first formed, that this was one of the foundational scripture, is what good came out of Nazareth, that as a Church of the Nazarene, when we first started, that it, our goal was to reach the lost. It started with homeless ministries. How awesome that we're part of a church that understands that Jesus came from Nazareth. Jesus came from a place. It says in scripture that, that Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. We live in a broken world and Jesus did not come for the high esteem. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to be a light in the darkness. Come and see said Philip. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite whom there is no deceit. So Jesus first meeting Nathanael, he says, here's a man with no deceit. This means this is a man that's honorable. He's honest. He would not con you or lie to you or say half-truths. He would actually tell his spouse what he really thinks of their cooking. Like he would be a man of his word. Jesus calls him out on that. In verse 48, he says, How do you know me? Nathanael says. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, Again, giving him authority, teacher. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe me because I, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added very, very um, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So let's go back up to 48. And he says, Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. I saw you while you're still in the fig tree. Now, we don't know why Nathaniel was under that fig tree. Maybe he had a bad day. Maybe he had situations in his life and he was just trying to find a quiet place and to sit. Maybe it was hot that day and the fig tree gave shade. Maybe he likes sweet foods. And if you've ever had a fig, it's very sweet and delicious. And, and so maybe he was there to get something to eat. And he just wanted to sit under it. We don't know why Nathaniel was there. But Jesus knew he was there. Can I tell you right now, our God loves you. Our God knows where you're at. What you're going through in your life. What's going on in your head, with your family, with your circumstances? Our God knows where you're at right now. And he's telling Nathaniel, I even saw you before even Philip came up to you and talked to you about me. Our God knows where you're at. And you know what's amazing? 
He goes on, he says, when Nathanael declared that he was rabbi and the son of God and, and, and wanted to follow him, he says in verse 50, he says, you believe because now you see that I even know where you're at. But he says, you will see greater things than that. This morning's, this, this morning's passage and message is very simple. I hope this ball is an illustration to you that God knows where you're at. There's a point in my life where I was in the bottom of the lake. I was in muck. That I was going through hard times, and yet God came and saved me. Even when I felt like it was hopeless, like there was no way I was going to get out of that. There's no way any good could come out of this situation. And yet God saved me. God knew where I was at. God knows where you're at. And God says that to Nathaniel, he says, if you are willing to follow me, even as we've been going through this passages and we've been going through this series and understanding that God is the light in the darkness, from 35 to 51 is about people that are willing to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, if you choose to follow me, you see God's heart here. He says, you're welcome. Come, follow me. He says, but you're going to see greater things than that. God does not just desire to save you. God wants to save the world. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. I'm going to ask John to come up, and he's going to play a song. But this morning, if you do not know Jesus or have a personal saving relationship with him, I want you to know that this morning, if you'd like to, you can. That he knows where you're at, and he came to save you. We believe in Romans chapter 9, verse 10, that if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved. That if you're willing to say, God, I need you. God says that if you're willing to repent and say that, Lord, you know my life and forgive me of my sins, that God says that you will be saved. And he says, and if you believe, just like when they heard him, they said, you are, you are rabbi, you are the son of God. He said, if you believe that he rose from the dead, you'll be saved, that he has the power to save you. Even in the muck, he sends a dog. Maybe you already have that personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you already have that personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But what if I told you this new year, God wants you to be a part of what he's doing. You see, during the new years, a lot of people... We try to create resolutions. But do you understand following Christ is more than a resolution. It is a commitment. It is a covenant between you and God. Saying that just like when they said rabbi, teacher, you're willing to learn from God. To allow God to teach you. To follow him wherever he goes. These guys could have been stubborn. Nathaniel could have said, what good comes out of that? And he could have never gone just because he thought so lowly of the place. But what if I told you maybe that's where God wants you to go, to these low places to, to bring healing? You know what came out of Nazareth? Jesus. He healed the blind. He, he healed the sick, the ones with leprosy. God brought wholeness to people's lives. And if you want to be a part of that, if you want to follow Jesus, and we go into 2022 choosing to follow Jesus, I'll tell you what, we're going to see some amazing things, greater than what we've already seen. Maybe this ball signifies for you, as you can tell, that these balls have been used. 
that they have imperfections. And you know what? When Jesus looks at these balls, I know he looks past. Just like he looks at our hearts, that he looked at Nathaniel, knew that he was not a man. When he looked at this ball, he, he saw that it was made for good. He looks at this ball and he, he sees that it has a purpose. Can I tell you that maybe there's people in your lives that there's brokenness. That what I ask you to say when we choose to follow God, that we also not just ask God to come into our lives, but to also to share that joy, to bring the light into the world. But guys, that can be mucky. That dog jumped in the water, came out wet and with mud, and it is sticky. That working in people's lives is messy, but willing to bring the light to help bring peace and healing. That maybe this ball might symbolize for you someone in your life that God wants you to pour into going into this new year. So as John sings this song, I offer a time to come down to the altar. And the altars were special places that we bring things to God. And if you would like to stay at your seats, that's fine. But I encourage you to come down and I encourage you to maybe even put that ball on the altar. I still want you to take it home with you, but maybe it's laying that ball. Maybe it's for you and your relationship with God. Maybe it's for making a commitment and wanting to follow him going into this new year. Maybe it's someone on your heart that you want to start pouring into. But I encourage you to come before God. And like I said, you can kneel at your seats or stay in your seats or you can come. But as he plays this song, I just give you an opportunity to come and be before God this morning. And we'll close in prayer. Let's stand and sing.